Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. All right, Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is good to be here, Owen, to talk about something we haven't talked about for a little while. Yes, we're talking about ESNG, otherwise known as environmental, social and governance issues concerning investing and yeah, business. Yeah, as part of Shares Month. So we're looking at this lens in relation to companies. Yes. So we are going to throw around some terms. We're going to talk about ethical investing, sustainability. We're going to talk about um, responsible investment. We're going to be talking about impact investment. They all mean slightly different things and they Mm. probably all fall under this idea of uh, responsible investing. However, we may use them interchangeably. So we'll try and use them properly, but we may use them interchangeably. Uh, Kate, if people wanted to listen to our other episodes of Shares Month, should they start with this episode or should they be going to another one? I'd head back to our very first episode of Shares Month. They've got a little emoji at the start of the title so you can see a little share chart going upwards. I, I chose the upwards one, not the nice, downwards good one. good emoji choice. Uh, we need some positive vibes at the mm-hmm. moment with the market. Um, but yeah, we've got a share checklist. We've got some jargon busting episodes. We've got uh, a few others that should be out by the time this comes out. So um, have a look there. And we've also done some ethical and investing episodes in the past and we did one a deep dive on an ethical ETF recently as well. Yes, the Ethi ETF from B to Shares. That was a really popular episode, one of our most popular. Mm. So uh, we'll be sure to do more of them in the future, but that's a really good one because we explain using an example being the Ethi ETF, E-T-H-I, we walk you through how they do and don't choose uh, companies to invest inside that ETF. Yeah, because the process is a little bit different. I'd say if I was ethical investing and looking at ETFs, I'd approach it a little bit differently to if I was investing in individual companies. Yeah, which we'll get to. So that's a good point. Uh, so Kate, first of all, I feel like the, f- the first thing we're going to ask is what is ESG? Yeah, so ESG is environmental social governance. So they're a three-word framework uh, that investors can use to look at all the different issues that are relevant to a company. So some like environmental issues might be to do with climate change or how a company uh, works with deforestation or energy. And so um, an analyst or you as an individual can look at the company and go, okay, under the environmental lens, how is the company rated, you could come up with your own rating system or how's the company performing on all these different environmental issues. And that's going to be different for Mm. every company because a mining company is going to have very different environmental issues at play than a technology company like Apple. Still important to look at them, but they're going to be quite different. Yeah. I think um, there are many different um, lenses through which we can judge companies. And one of the things that my belief is that I should say is that most people want to invest ethically if they have the option, but the way you define ethics is very personal. So you mm. use examples there of like the E being for, for coal or for deforestation. It's pretty clear cut what that is. Um, but then if we move to things like s- social issues, you might have a, a, a different worldview to me, for example, mm. Kate. And so the way you look at a company in that respect might be different. And finally with governance, yes, there are rules around this, but there are different, I guess, practices around the world as well so each of these things um can help you i guess identify companies and and like analyze them 
but the, the the key takeaway for me is almost always that ethical investing is more personal and like sustainable investing or responsible investing can mean many different things and it could mean for example that you just avoid companies that produce a lot of carbon for yeah. example um so i mean share investing already is very personal you're using yeah, your own lens and maybe some tools or research you found online to analyze and look at companies it's just i think if you're looking at esg factors as well which i think most analysts would be looking at things like uh how does the company deal with customers and how does mm. it interact with its community how does the company deal with different issues because a lot of these issues if they blow up they blow up really big if in a news article or the company damages the environment or they have sexism on the board. So these things yeah. blow up. So I think all analysts are looking at this. It just depends how closely you use this ESG or ethical lens when you are going about your individual share investing journey. Yeah, when we talked about um, we did the kind of idea session where we got the analysts in to talk about different companies, we saw there how – there was a kind of a difference between what the men were picking and what the, the women were picking, like in terms of the companies that we chose to talk about. And I think that just highlights the, I guess, the even just across genders, there's a, there's a difference, but it also highlighted the different types of businesses that people are interested in. And it's the same with ESG. You know, we may have different principles. Uh, in a survey that we did of members for our um, ethical investing courses, an ethical investing course on RASC education, um, the majority of respondents said that they would try to invest ethically even if they couldn't do it perfectly. So even that's a good way where, that's a good uh, segue into what ETFs do for people, which is that ETFs set rules around mm. what is ethical and what's not or what's responsible and what's not. And then you've just kind of got to take it as it is, even yeah. if it's not perfect for you. Yeah, and I'd say rarely would the rules line up exactly with one person's unique worldview. Yeah. I, I think in terms of ease of use that ethical ETFs can be a good option because it does take a lot of time, even if you're not looking at an ESG lens, to research companies. Mm. Yeah, like, and let's be honest, like most people, as, as much as we talked about before about companies wanting to avoid blowups, most people don't want to be involved in those either. Yeah. Like a, a more recent example, not to put too much of a timestamp on this, but is the, the uh, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. Um, people I see investors that are saying, "Oh, Russian stocks are cheap, and um, you could invest in this Russian company, and blah 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 blah." Like I personally, I wouldn't touch that. That's just I wouldn't because it doesn't represent. Even if I could, you know, realize value there for me, there's no. It doesn't. I don't have that sleep at night factor. I wouldn't be comfortable supporting that. So for me, with my investment dollars, I think what works for me. Now, someone listening to this might think, "Oh, well, that's that's you know that's." I would do that. That's fine. And that's that's up to you. That's okay. Uh, but for me, it's very personal. And I think we can have an impact with our investing if we take into account these ESG factors. Uh, so there is a, a chart, and I'll try and do it justice on a podcast. There's a chart in the ethical investing course. And this relates to the E in ESG. I use this, I've used this one a lot. Okay. And this comes from this is a study done of, as if someone had thirty-eight thousand dollars to invest. If they chose just like a normal index fund or if they chose um, like a high impact ESG fund or ethical fund or just a moderate ESG fund. And they measure it in terms of um, tons of carbon emitted. So the, the benefits of choosing an ESG aware fund or ESG aware ETF was two tons, right? Now that to put it in context, what does that mean? If you choose to only buy renewable energy, the impact is 1.3 tons a year. 
So just by choosing, you know, a good ethical fund, you're saving more than if you went to renewable energy. Um, another good example is like eating a plant-based diet. So like vegan or vegetarian, maybe uh, that's just over one ton of carbon emissions saved. So again, we can see, you know, a huge impact from doing this. Um, it might be indirect. You might not experience it yourself. If you are right at the pointiest end of impact investing, where you an impact is like is the pointy end of responsible ethical investment, it can be as much as seven tons of carbon saved by choosing those options. So, the natural question then is: Well, if if it's that you know that much of an impact, why doesn't everyone do it? And I think a big stigma around this, Kate, is that people um, think that it costs them money because why would you, you if you're investing, you want to make money, right? But I think the, the studies, there were numerous studies shown, and we can maybe talk to them in a few minutes, but there are numerous studies shown that reveal that it's actually pretty good to invest ethically. It actually makes sense, not just from the sleep at night you know, ethics factor, but also from the perspective of getting good returns, both in bonds and in shares. Um, we can see that when people invest this way, there tends to be good outcomes. Mm-hmm. So um, a quick question for you then, Kate, just to segue into this, is do you invest ethically? I've termed it, I don't know if this is my own term, but values-based investing. And so I I don't know if it's just I don't want to fit into a box, but I like to invest in companies that align with my values and that I'm happy mm. to like their sleep at night factor. But also because I'm investing with a long-term horizon, I want to invest in companies that I think are going to be around in 10, 20, 30 years and are actually going to have a net positive effect on the society I'm in and the world globally. So I don't know like what you would call that, but I'm like, well, what are the problems right now? What companies are trying to solve those problems and actually having a successful track record doing something in those areas? What are the like the problems in my friends and family? Like what companies are solving those issues? Um, yeah, and just what companies are doing positive things in the world rather than taking away from the future. Mm. My view is that that's I think that's really interesting, values-based investing. So identifying what your values are. Yeah. We, we actually have an activity on this inside our RASC education course. It basically has what things do you care about, basically. Um, and then you can put a tick or a mark next to them and you do or you don't invest in those things. So a good example. And there's a lot of things on that list. Like it can take a long time to learn about those. There's like 30, at least 30 things on that list. And you might not know what your perspective Mm. is on every individual issue. Yeah. So like, for example, like does the company, you know, what do I care about recycling? Do I care about, you know, genetic modification? (laughs) You know, we don't, we're not all experts in like GMOs and whatever. So it's basically just about identify. I think when you get a list like this, it's almost like it's easier to avoid companies than it is to actively seek them out. Yeah. But I, I take your point that you want to support companies. Like let's say you have a family member that's in care and you realize that the company that goes above and beyond is actually, you know, that company you can actually invest in. Well, then you might take more of an interest in that company and follow up and start doing your research. Um, another way to do it, you, so this is basically, this actually leads us into a different point, which is, positive versus negative screening which is basically how we pick what to invest in and what not to invest in so negative screening means that we um, avoid companies so we'll have like we don't want to invest in cluster munitions we don't Mm. want to invest in child exploitation or pornography any company that's even linked to that will be screened out that's a negative yeah so you won't even go and research that company or be if it has any association like even locally, that's a contentious issue with sort of brands that produce alcohol or tobacco or have gambling yeah. uh, links. And so it's very much like if you see that, 
you just avoid. Yeah, they're called sin stocks. So, and I do air quotes for those of you that aren't watching. Sin stocks are there's like a group of them that people say are, it's pretty black and white. Like most people in the community would say that these aren't necessarily good things to support. So, like you mentioned, tobacco. You you mentioned child exploit. We mentioned child exploitation, deforestation. You know, animal testing. All of these different things. They're typically ruled out of most people's. If they have the choice, they'll rule them out. But then we have positive screening, which is what you're basically referring to. It's like values-based investing. Like, what are my values? Um, what do I can, want to go out of my way to invest in? That's it. So you might say, you know, I'm looking for cosmetics companies that take care of the environment and take care of animals. Mm. So you might find companies like that. Um, there was actually a private company that was trying to do that recently, um, and it went through one of those um, crowdfunding platforms. Okay. Yeah, and I was, I was actually having a look at it, and it does like – vegan friendly lipstick and i thought that's really really cool anyway um so that's an example of like you might come across a company you might go, oh that's really interesting um another thing that you can do is you can look at companies that have signed things like or have passed b corp certification so that's where they go through a rigorous process to prove their impact on the environment and so on and so forth so those are pretty good too okay so you say you're more of a value-based investor yeah, I just think companies are a lot more complex than black and white. You can't just like compla- large companies, like even in Australia, they do more than one thing. And so um, it might have a tiny bit of its business working in something that maybe you don't align with, but the rest of its business is doing really positive things. So it does become quite a judgment call whether you exclude that company or you look at the whole picture because it might not be rated very well on governance but it might be doing really positive things for the environment so i think you have to really weigh it up and so sometimes etfs are very black and white it's like you're in or you're out but you could also change the size of your position you could also invest only a small bit in that particular company i think mm. it's it's so personal as with everything in investing and so yeah. it's hard to um have a conclusive answer without like you can come up with your own individual rules or you can use someone else's rules, but um, I think you really have to spend time learning about those issues and what's important to you. I was actually just looking at my notes here um, and we did a, a sur- within a survey that we did, I think it was around about seven out of 10 people said that um, like, even, like even if they can't invest everything ethically, they'll try. And about the same amount said that human input is required to invest ethically. Yeah. So even though we have these rules, like artificial rules, like this gets an A plus, that gets a B for this, whatever, most people believe that some human on the other end needs to make a call. Yeah. Um, and that can be quite contentious. So we saw with like Australian Ethical, they had investments in property development companies that were impacting koalas and their, um, like their, I guess their living environments. And that was a very contentious thing. They invested in Facebook too. Over on the Australian Investors Podcast, I asked uh, them about that. And so at the end of the day, like someone has to make a call somewhere. Mm. Um, your point around how much uh, revenue comes from where and whatever, that's, I think that's a really interesting thing. Like people just go, oh, it's a supermarket, therefore it's safe. But for many years, Woolworths uh, was one of the biggest owner of pokies in Australia. Mm. And it was also the owner of Endeavor Group, which is like Dan Murphy's and all that. So it was a huge, huge part of the business but people just thought, oh, I know it as a supermarket, but it had all these other brands. Yeah. So then is that ethical or not? Mm. And some companies have had a pretty storied history, but actually are making real steps to yeah. turn the corner and have a positive impact. And it really, um, they might have been typically in a very environmentally unsound uh, space, but they're actually trying to focus on the future of energy and how to do it in a more cleaner way. So it's kind of like 
do you, you want to support them trying to do something good or do you just look at their history? Yeah. Well, again, most people in our survey said that they would want to support them. So the I think the interesting thing here is I often pose this question is like, okay, so you say you don't want to invest in industries or companies that support fossil fuels, like excessive fossil fuels. How about a software company that creates software for coal mines to be more efficient? So this is a company that we recommended called RPM Global. Uh, trades under the ASX and the ticker symbol RUL. It creates software for, to do just that. It helps coal companies, copper companies, like all these like resources businesses to manage their mine site and to do it more efficiently with ESG considerations, et cetera. Is that ethical? Mm. You know, that's a really hard one to answer because people are like, well, you shouldn't support coal. That would just mean they dig more coal out of the ground. <laughs> and other people are like, well, they're going to do it anyway. Why don't we just try and make it efficient? Yeah. You know, so this is, again, is where the human input is, is really required here. Yeah, and I also look at the ESG framework as sort of a risk management strategy when I'm looking at how I'm investing in my portfolio because you're firstly, you're wanting to make sure the company doesn't have any major blow-ups um, mm-hmm. because they've infringed on any of those uh, areas. But also it forces you to have a look at how the board operates and it forces you to look at their policies um, for employees and it forces you to look at how they deal with the community. So all those key things that you should be looking at as an investor, I think ESG gives you a good framework um, to make sure that it's it's a good company and it is in a good position moving forwards. Mm. On our um, Australian Investors podcast, we have, we've done this 10-part series. I've mentioned it a few times. The um, investor bootcamp. Anyone can access this, by the way. Mm. And one of those uh, conversations is around an investment checklist. And in there, we basically talk about how you can grade companies. Like you can grade them for their management team. You can grade them for you know their balance sheet. And very like just a simple checklist, yeah. right? You just go and find it and you put a number in or put the answer in. You can also do that for ESG because you can go, okay. Does the company have good HR ratings? And the way you do that is you use Glassdoor or Seek or you use any of those HR reviews websites. Uh, Indeed does it as well. And in there, you can see what employees are saying about the culture because you might be a person that believes, well, culture is important to a business. Um, and then within and then in the annual report, you can view the disclosures of the company as well. So they might have um, CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, which is their basically their attempt to try and report on um, issues that are like important to them and how they deal with certain issues. A good Two good examples of this in Australia, if you Google uh, Commonwealth Bank Sustainability Report mm. or if you Google, uh, what is it, Cochlear, I, th- I don't think they call it a sustainability report. What do they call it? I think it might be like ESG policy or something like this. There's ESG a lot report. of different names for these things. Yeah, if you... Go to their websites and you go to the investor relations section. In there, you'll find that both of these companies have reported separately on like their impact. Mm. Um, and they talk about things like carbon emissions. They talk about how they donate money. Um, in the United States, I, I think the shining example is um, a company called Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce, which we, we, we talk about in one of the episodes of this series, in that they have a commitment to donate 1% of their, I think it's, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to say it's 1% of their profit, 1% of their time, and 1% of their effort or something like this. And they donate, you know, all that. So that would be the equivalent of, say, allowing all employees three days a year to go and volunteer. Mm. And so you might think that's a really good thing, right? So that's another way of how you can grade companies. You can say it has an excellent 
you know, uh, social score. And you might say it's got independent directors, therefore it gets a good score for that. And it's got a carbon neutral target. So it's got a good score for that. And then you can grade companies for this as well. So it's not necessarily black and white. It's more just like, I know there are some issues, there's some wrinkles here, but, mm. you know, it scores pretty well. Yeah. And if you're looking at putting a portfolio of uh, shares together that fall under this ESG framework that you've put in place, like how would you go about that? Because I know one of the risks is that you end up with potentially a very tech-heavy portfolio or exclude certain industries and sectors altogether and it's not necessarily diversified. Yeah, um, yeah tech-heavy is often what happens when people talk about ESG because the tech companies themselves don't produce a lot of carbon. Mm. They tend to have really good um, social scores because they do those things like donate time and they also have pretty good culture scores because they're, who doesn't love beanbags and ping pong tables and free fruit, right? That's all we need um, to be and, happy on. And they can do that because they're funded by venture capitalists and they're in the early days and then they make huge profits. But at the end of the day, you, you don't really want a portfolio that's 100% tech. I think the recent, the last year has probably proven that. Yeah, the last few months especially. Yeah. But the thing is um, – you can I, I think I my personal belief is that over time companies have moved further. If you think about like the left being like the classic lefty, like pro environment, and then you think on the right, you're like hardline, I don't know, whatever on the right hand side, something crazy. And then in the middle you have like most people. Um I think over time companies have moved further to the left. So in the past it was profit first, profit first, profit first. And then we'll start thinking about something else. Whereas nowadays, people are like, what's our mission statement? What's our vision? What's our culture policy? How can we have inclusion? And companies are slowly shifting further and further to the left. Mm. And so that means now in other industries, we can find companies doing good. Uh, so that might be companies that you know, traditionally would just go for the lowest cost source of steel for their product or bull bar or for their you know, if they're a construction company, but now they choose to support um, suppliers that do the right thing and they'll disclose that. And so you can construct a portfolio now that's not just tech. Um, and the way to do that is just to read through the annual reports. There are some great companies out there that provide scores like MSCI, MISCI, MSCI. Uh, their website does it. Um, there's another one, Refinitiv, which we, we've talked about before. Um, and these provide basically like an A, B, C, D, it's kind of like at school, A plus, B plus, whatever. Um, and they'll give them scores for certain factors. And at the end of the day, that's how we can do that for shares. For ETFs, it's a bit different. Typically, they have a policy document, like a, an ESG framework that they work within, like the ETHI and FAIR ETFs are a good example from BetaShares. They basically say, we start with this whole universe of investable shares, we get that down to uh, by looking at sectors that appeal to us. Companies can't have X amount of revenue and then we seek out companies in this industry. So it's kind of using both negative and positive screening. That's what makes them so good. Yeah. Um, and then for super funds, within super funds, you basically have two choices. You can go for an out and out ethical, ethical or sustainability focused super fund, which would be like uh, Australian ethical, aware super, future super, those types. Or you can stick with a bigger super fund that also offers ethical investing. So something like an Australian Ethical, um, REST, Host Plus, et cetera, they all have their own variation. The key thing is just to make sure that you're comfortable with what's in the portfolios. So that and, that, and, and the same thing for managed funds as well, like any type of active fund manager too. And the key thing is that you look inside the portfolio, just looking at, just 
clients mm. at it before you make the decision. Are the companies in here what I would consider to be ethical? Yeah. And um, I think sometimes what people easy. forget is that they can be, I guess, what's called an activist investor. And you actually, companies are not just listening to customers saying, uh, I want you to do better by ESG factors. And they're not just listening to clients, they're actually listening to investors mm. as well. And you can you can email company management, whether they read it and respond to a different question, but you can communicate with the company. You can vote on key issues as an investor. You can go to the annual general meeting and actually ask AGM. questions. Yep. Yeah, you're allowed to put your hand up and ask a question. You get up in front of the mic and you ask a question. Yeah, yeah might even sure. be live streamed. Yeah, all you need, just to, just for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, every year companies hold their AGM. It's like where the board of directors have to get up in front of everyone and tell them what they've done yeah. and you have to vote. Now, the thing is, if as long as you've got your um, shareholder reference number, I believe it is, um, or basically like you've just got your, your paperwork in front yeah. of you, you can put in your shareholder number and then you have the ability to ask questions. You can still watch the webinar or you can still attend, but you won't be able to ask questions unless you have that number. So make sure you have that handy. Mm. Um, and yeah, you can ask them whatever you want. Yeah. You can say, why haven't you done this? And they'll, they'll try and give you some answer. If it's a BS answer, just ask it again. Or Yeah, and sometimes if a company yeah. has had a lot of ESG issues in a certain year, the board meetings do get a little bit oh, feisty. They get feisty. I've, yeah, um, they I've seen a few of the banks ones before um, over particular issues. And uh, yeah, their shareholders are, are really asking questions. Yeah, that's it. That's probably why a lot of the CEOs and that quit before they come around to the AGM because yeah, they're I probably think, worried. Yeah. <laughs> if the company hasn't had a good year or has um, been in yeah. the headlines a few too many times for the wrong reason, the AGMs can can be a bit intense. Yeah, they can be. But and I think it's a good experience for investors. If you are wanting to invest in individual companies, you can actually see that, oh, this is a real company. There is this management team behind it. Um, I'm an investor, so I can ask questions and see who's running the show. And it's, I think it's a good experience that everyone that is investing in individual shares should do at least once. Yeah. I, the thing is, it, the thing that I like about it is it reminds people that it's not just like things that are going up and down your brokerage account. Yeah. It's not just a three-letter stock code. Yeah. You can actually ask the company, like, what are you doing about this thing that I saw at your shop or whatever? It could be, it might seem trivial to you, but they might have an answer to it. Yeah. Um, and you'd be surprised. Like, there are some shareholders associations out there, like the Australian Shareholders Association, which is typically made up of an older generation of investor, but they know that they can ask questions. So they go and do it. Mm. Um, but anyone can do it. Like, we do it as analysts, we do it. We get on the investor calls and we ask the questions because it's, we can't just leave it a chance. Like, we want to know. So the more of that people do, the better. Yeah. And in terms of if you are interested in looking at individual companies with an ESG lens, like I know you could use annual reports, but what other research to tools would you use for trying to investigate each of these issues a bit more? Yeah, definitely the uh, the annual reports are like the, the best place to go. Um, that's in Australia. You have to get the annual report because it has the full disclosure and it has any type of information on ESG and uh, remuneration at the top. Uh, you can head to the investor relations website too. They don't always issue. Companies don't always um, issue their ESG reporting and all of that stuff um, in their annual report or to your, the, the investor. Typically, or not typically, but sometimes you have to go to their website to get like the full, uh, I guess, buffet of different reports. So you can head to, say, example is like Commonwealth Bank Investor Relations. Just Google that. Go to the investor relations part of the website and in there they'll have more reports. Yeah. Uh, and you can do that with most big companies. For little companies, you kind of have a 
you have to get a bit more creative. You can't just rely on their disclosures because they're typically typically not that good. Like they don't have a team dedicated to yeah to write ESG. like fifty page ESG reports. You need to have yeah, quite you, a bit of money and a team behind it. Yeah, that's it. Like I'm sure Commonwealth Bank and Cochlear and places like this have yeah dozens of professionals that write these annual reports. But know. small caps don't always have those yeah. resources. So smaller companies might only have a dozen people in the entire business, <laughs> so they can't afford to do that. So what you typically have to do is you have to rely on other. Um, like research, like analyst research, or even like com- some companies um, will issue um, r- like ESG ratings on companies. <clears throat> but the, f- the the key with those smaller companies is just understanding what the business model is. Mm. So if you just have a very basic understanding, you go to their website, you look at what the products they produce. Just think for yourself: Oh, they use I don't know corn to create cereal. Well then, where's the corn come the from? Corn come What's from? the supply chain look like? Yeah. And How you can, are the workers? You can sometimes give them a call. Like sometimes you can almost always give them a call and say, "Hey, I'm an investor. Um, this is my question." And what the smaller companies do is they have an investor relations company that like does it all for them. And if they don't have the answer, they'll sometimes put it to the CEO and all that. And again, you can use AGMs. You should get invited to AD- AGMs, or you should be able to attend virtually. Um, then. You know, there's a whole other raft of different things. Many companies, like I mentioned MSCI, I mentioned um, there's, a, there's a one for not particularly, not for shares, but more so for ETFs and managed funds and super funds is the RIAA, the Responsible Investment Association um, of Australasia. Then there's another one called um, LEAF Ratings. It's L-E-A-F Ratings. And that's actually by a group of financial advisors who are called the Ethical Advisors Co-op. And what they do is they have all agreed to only invest in ethical strategies. Mm -hmm. And so then they pull their research together and they publish that. So that's kind of cool. And that shows you different funds and strategies that are like ETFs that are considered ethical by them. Um, But yeah, to your point about um, like individual companies, it's definitely first work out what my values are. Secondly, use the reporting that's available from the companies. Um, that's the best way. And if you don't have the answers, ask the questions. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good starting point just before you're investing at all in shares is what do you actually want to invest in? What do you want to include? What do you want to exclude? What are red flags for you? What are green flags for you? Yeah, I think if you look at the uh, zero, so uh, XERO, full disclosure and shares in this company, if you look at this company's, I think it's 2022 financial report. This is a really good example. They've just adopted a totally new reporting framework. And in that framework, they present all of the issues and how they relate to the strategy. So in Australia, a lot of companies just do the bare minimum, but zero went above and beyond and shows you what's our strategy? How do we treat our people? How do our people relate to our strategy? How does that relate to the community? And it shows you all of that. Mm. It's very US-esque yep. um, and that's a really good example of how you can just read through a report and you can understand how they're approaching certain issues like even like gender balance in the workforce. Yeah, that's probably a good starting point with a few large companies that are actively doing reporting in this area to get an idea of what are some of the words you should be looking at and some of the categories and numbers that you can actually report on because if you start with a, a small company that won't have any of this you don't even know what to look for yeah that's it yeah yeah so, so like uh, if you went to a, if you tried to find a company in australia below say 300 million dollars or 400 million dollars in total value for the company like market cap you'd probably find there'd be nothing in there 
yeah. like of, of substance. So you got to go maybe start at the bigger end of town, learn the, the lingo, the jargon, um, understand how companies report, and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good starting point for people. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And at the end of the day, um, I just want to emphasize what we talked about before at the top of the show, which is that there are many ways to invest ethically or sustainably. It really depends on what you want from your investment portfolio, what you're happy to go to sleep knowing that you're invested in. And the key point is you can do it many different ways and it does have an impact both in terms of your ability to support good initiatives, but also in terms of your returns. If you think about it, by investing in businesses that have a sustainability focus, really over time, you should invest in companies that are more sustainable. So that can be a good thing for your returns. And we are seeing that play out. Mm. The RIAA, which is the the organization I mentioned before, publishes a report every year tracking the fund managers and the experts who have received their rating for responsible investment. And it almost always over every time period outperforms. That's not necessarily going to happen in the future but or in every time period, but it proves, it's starting to prove that ethical investing, sustainable investing, whatever you want to call it, is actually good for you and good for society. So I think that should be enough at least to yeah. get your interest up and go and explore this area of investing. Yeah, looking for companies that are actually growing sustainably as well and not um, doing crazy returns one year and just uh, plummeting the next. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah. That's okay. I think that's, that's, that's a good starting point. Slash ESG slash sustainable investing 101. Yep, we've, we've got, got an ethical investing course on Rask Education. Um, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And if you are interested in some ethical ETFs, we do have uh, a selection in our Rask ETFs membership as well, which there is a coupon code in the show notes if you're interested in having a look at that. Yeah, if you want to join our membership and see what we have rated, um, go ahead and do that. Um, the ETF membership, yeah, it's really for people that are getting started, but also people that are just trying to build their core portfolio. So go check that out. Um, we did actually get a question from a member not so long ago that said, oh, you should include more of a breakdown of like what the ethical considerations are for your ethical strategy inside the membership. And I said, we, we, we can do that, but we've also got a full course. So <laughs> we've, we've taken this very seriously. So you can go and check out all of that. Um, and if you're interested, you can jump into the Rask Australia Facebook group. Uh, where we talk about these things quite often, actually. So, um, yeah, jump in there and uh, say hello. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community, by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au.